the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 2 Corinthians. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. There are some people who are locked up just a half a mile down the road from us are more free than some people who are outside of the jail. You understand that freedom is not in relation to geography. Freedom is in relation to a relationship. And that freedom from sin that kills us and the law that condemns us is found only in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, through the blood of Jesus Christ who died on a cross for our sins. Freedom doesn't depend on anything physical in this world. A man in chains can be freer than a person on the streets as long as he knows Jesus Christ and surrenders to him. Your relationship with Jesus means that you are wholly and completely free. The circumstances of the world around you don't mean anything when it comes to your freedom. You get to live in the second covenant, the one made in Christ's blood. And he paid the price for you to live in ultimate freedom. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection, subscribe to the podcast, or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 3 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with them, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. And then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. Can you imagine this scene here? Can you imagine Moses has this veil across his face as the people are, you know, looking at him? Why in the world is he doing this? Now, at first glance, it looks like he's doing this because he's so glowing and that the people are freaking out like, whoa, you're lit up. What in the world happened to you? But what Paul tells us is the real reason why he covers his face. Go back now to 2 Corinthians 3. The real reason why he covers his face, verse 13 is to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. Here's why he covered his face with a veil. Because the glory that came with the old covenant was fading. And he didn't want the Israelites to look at him and see that the radiance and the glory was fading away. So Paul gives us insight into Exodus 34. And what Paul tells us is that's why he covered his face. He covers his face so that the people wouldn't become discouraged. Like, oh, the power is fading. Oh, the glory is fading. Oh, what's happening? It's evaporating. Paul says, 
Moses wore a veil because the glory was fading. But he says, that's verse 18, we have unveiled faces because, look again, verse 18, we with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory and are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. In other words, your life, your changed, transformed life by the power of Jesus Christ is a reflection of his never-fading glory. And when people see your life, they see the glory of God. We represent him. We're on display. We're the letters that are known and read by everyone. And when people look at us, they don't see a glory fading. They see a glory that never fades. So we don't need a veil over our face. We need to be people who are Thankful and people who are bold about our witness and people who are happy and unashamed about who Christ is in us so that people can see the glory of the Lord reflected in our lives. Now, he adds another word here in verse 17 about the new covenant that the old covenant doesn't have. Did you see it as we read through it? It's the word freedom. Verse 17, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So, under your category of the new covenant, you have to add one more word, and it's freedom. This is an important distinction between old covenant and new covenant. Freedom. I don't mean, you know, braveheart freedom. I don't mean, you know, like paint your faces blue and get on a horse, you know, do the Mel Gibson thing. Freedom! Oh, Christians are free! We get to do anything we want! No, you don't get to do anything you want. That's not the kind of freedom. Do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature, the Bible says. Let me give you a few passages for you note takers. Romans 8, 1 and 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Galatians 5, 1. It is for freedom... That Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And listen to what Jesus says in John 8, 34 to 36. He said, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now, did you hear those passages that I just read? where it speaks of a slavery to both sin and the law, okay, because there's no freedom in the law. It only exposes our guilt. It's just condemnation. Versus the kind of freedom that we have in Christ. It doesn't mean liberty in the sense of just now we can do whatever we want, but real biblical freedom is to be free from sin and free from the law that condemns us, and to be at peace with God. That's true freedom. Now, to be free from sin doesn't mean that you and I will never sin again. It just means to be free from the bondage of sin, to be free from the penalty of sin. And that only comes through Christ. And when Christ comes into our lives, we are free from the sin that kills us, and we are free from the law that condemns us, because in him, we have real freedom. If you know Christ as your Savior, you know real freedom. 
There are some people who are locked up just a half a mile down the road from us who because may know Christ are more free than some people who are outside of the jail. You understand that freedom is not in relation to geography. Freedom is in relation to a relationship. And that freedom from sin that kills us and the law that condemns us is found only in the new covenant, in the new testament, through the blood of Jesus Christ who died on a cross for our sins. This is that new covenant. Chapter 4. He says, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, this ministry of the Spirit, this ministry of, of the Spirit, not the law, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. And note this verse, verse 4. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That is an important verse to understand sometimes the dynamic related to why some believe and some don't believe. He says here, the God of this age, small g, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Who is the God of this age? He mentions here the God of this age in 2 Corinthians 4.4, and this particular individual is known by different titles and different names throughout the Bible. I'll just give you four more taken right out of Revelation 12.9. In Revelation 12.9, he is also referred to as the dragon, that ancient serpent, the devil, and Satan. That is the God of this age. Talking about the same Individual. This is Satan. This is the devil. He is known by different titles. He is known by different names. The God of this age here in 2 Corinthians 4 4, the dragon. They're in Revelation 12, that ancient serpent, because that is a hearkening back to Genesis 3 when Satan first appears on the earth in the form of a serpent, a beautiful serpent, by the way. Nachash in the Hebrew means a glistening, glimmering creature. It was not scary. He was very beautiful, very cunning, very clever. And also there in Revelation 12, 9, he's referred to as the devil. That's a common name. We, we will refer to Satan as the devil. The Greek word is diabolos, meaning accuser. That's what the word devil really means. And his proper name is Satan, taken from the Hebrew, spelled just the same way, Satan. Satan means adversary or enemy. So this is who we're talking about. Now, in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, it gives us insight into something, doesn't it? Because what we're told is that some people do not believe in the truth about Christ and accept who he is and how he died on the cross for them. Because Satan, the God of this age, is deliberately blinding their minds. He's deliberately blinding their minds. He is at work. Think of some of your friends, your loved ones, family members. They hear the gospel over and over and over again. They know the truth. They hear it. And you might be wondering, why don't they seem to accept it? Why don't they seem to receive it? It could be, not necessarily in every case, but I think in many cases, it's because Satan is deliberately, intentionally 
blinding their minds to the truth of the gospel. So now that seems kind of hopeless, doesn't it? But let me give you a companion passage to this. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. This is Paul praying for the church at Ephesus. And he says here in Ephesians 1, 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Verse 19, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Now notice, Paul says, I'm praying for you that the eyes of your heart might be open so that you might be enlightened so that you might know this hope of the Lord Jesus Christ. So take that passage to heart in Ephesians 1, 17, 18, and 19, because although we read in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, you can pray and you can ask the Lord, Lord, open the eyes of their heart they might see the truth of who the Lord is. Come against the God of this age, Lord, who would love to blind their minds to the truth of who Jesus is. And so you combat the work of the enemy in prayer. Because greater is he, the Lord, in us than he that is in the world. And so pray. And pray for your loved ones. Pray for your friends. I'm sure you would say, I'm I'm already doing that. Keep praying. Pray and keep on praying. You know, the Bible says, ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. But in the grammar of the Greek, it literally reads, ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. So never give up. Persevere and pray. I've known people who have prayed for their loved ones for decades until finally God answered their prayers. So don't give up. It may not happen as instantaneously as we might like, but don't underestimate the power of prayer and continue to pray for your loved ones who might presently be blinded as far as their minds go to the truth of who Christ is. But you combat the work of the enemy by praying that the eyes of their hearts would be opened. Back here in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 5, Paul says, For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord... And ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Notice that he emphasizes, we don't preach ourselves, we preach Christ. We are just servants. We're just the vessels. And to drive that point home, he says in verse 6, For God, who said, let the light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Verse 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. I love that verse, don't you? Because what Paul is saying is we can't take credit for anything. 
it's all just the work of God. And he compares his life and actually, in a sense, really the physical body to being a jar of clay. We're just clay. And we are. I mean, we are dirt. Scientifically speaking, man was fashioned, the Bible says, from the dust of the earth. We are the same 17 chemical elements as dirt. Every human being, the flesh, is comprised of the same 17 chemical elements as dirt, mainly hydrogen and oxygen and a few other trace elements. But the human body is mostly water, hydrogen and oxygen. But otherwise, we are dirt. We are just jars of clay. And Paul is saying, and yet we've been entrusted with this incredible ministry, this incredible, and this is for all of us. This is not just, you know, people in full-time ministry. It's ministry that all of us have. Where you and I are supposed to be constant vessels that God would use. But that's all we are. We're just the vessels. We're just jars of clay. And God pours through us as the vessel. I remember years ago listening to Pastor Chuck Smith before he went to be with the Lord. And he was talking about how he was actually at a pastor's conference. And he was reminding us pastors. He said, fellas. He's got this great deep voice. And fellas, we're all just the instruments in God's hand. He said, it would be like if someone went in for surgery and we are there doing our work as the surgeon and skillfully doing what we can to help people in their lives. And he says, when somebody comes out of surgery, do they ever thank the scalpel? No, they only thank the surgeon. He said, we are just the scalpel in the surgeon's hands and don't ever forget it. And I haven't. I've never forgotten that. It's just like, you're just the instrument in God's hands. All of us are. We have this treasure, this treasure of the ministry in jars of clay to show that it's all surpassing powers from God and not from us. He says, verse 8, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. He's just talking about the the difficulties. You know, Paul went through some incredible difficulties. I'm going to read the list in a moment. And he says, you know, we just kind of experience these near-death situations all the time. And we're just doing it so that God might be revealed in our mortal body. He says, verse 13, he says, It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken with that same spirit of faith. We also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. Amen? And all this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Note this. He says, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Now, let me just pause there because he refers to his hardships as light and momentary troubles. If you want to, you can just glance over a few chapters. Go to chapter 11 because he tells us a little bit about his light and momentary troubles at the end of the book. Chapter 11, verse 23. Paul says, Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder. 
been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern." For all the churches who is weak and I do not feel weak who was led into sin and I do not inwardly burn if I must boast I will boast of the things that show my weakness the God and father of our Lord Jesus who is to be praised forever knows I am not lying in Damascus the governor under King Aretas had the city of Damascus guarded in order to arrest me but I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands that's a little bit more to me than light and momentary troubles. You know, you've been left for dead a few times. You've been beaten 40 lashes minus one. You know why the Romans did that? Because they were entitled to do 40 lashes, whipping him. Cat and nine tails, the whole deal. The Romans had perfected whipping criminals that they thought, you know, Paul's not a criminal, but treating him like one. They had pieces of glass at the end of leather strips, pieces of bone and metal. And they had a skill, if you can use that word, in whipping someone, and they would whip and then yank with the wrist to pull flesh from your back. I mean, it was horrible. It was gruesome. But they would authorize 40 lashes. But because they never wanted to be accused of going overboard, they would do just 39. Paul says, I, three times I got the 40 lashes minus one. I was left for dead, I've been shipwrecked, I've been naked, I've been hungry, I've gone without sleep. But now back here in chapter 4, he says, but our light and momentary troubles, right? Man, if you thought you had it bad, let me look at Paul's list, and he calls that light and momentary. But nevertheless, notice, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Lord, give me that eternal perspective. Lord, when I think I've had a bad day, may I remember that there's probably a lot of people have had it far worse than me. And no matter what kind of a day we've had, good or bad, there is an eternal glory in heaven that far outweighs all of this stuff. And he ends the chapter by saying, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is is eternal. Friends, we have to get to the place with God's help where we have more of a vertical perspective than horizontal. This world will be full of its share of burdens and heartaches and disappointments, death, disease, divorce, things that you probably never thought would happen. But it is part of living in a fallen world. It just is. A lot of times what we want is heaven on earth because we want the pain to go away. There will be a day when a new Jerusalem will come out of heaven 
and there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and it literally will be heaven on earth. But until that day, we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, because what is seen is temporary, it's temporal. But we fix our eyes on what is unseen, on the Lord, and our eternal reward, and the hope of heaven, and everything that is unseen, because that which is seen is temporary, but that which is unseen is eternal. And may God continue to help us to have an eternal perspective about our lives. And no matter what we go through, thick or thin, good or bad, no matter what kind of day, year, life we may have had, good or bad, or a mixture of both, may our perspective always be on our hope and our future in Jesus Christ. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection as we explore more of the book of 2 Corinthians. There is no other book of the Bible that goes as in-depth into Paul's sufferings as 2 Corinthians. Paul didn't mention these things for bragging rights or for pity. On the contrary, in fact, Paul only mentioned the hardships he'd been through to prove that even though his pedigree as a Pharisee was top-notch, he could relate to anyone who has and will suffer for the sake of Christ. Being a Christian doesn't come easy, and Paul could attest to that firsthand. But his whole point in mentioning those things wasn't for you to focus solely on all the bad things he went through. His intent was to help his readers focus on the why of what he was doing, which was because of Jesus and his message spreading, no matter the personal cost. Are you living life in this way, willing to do whatever it takes for others to know about Jesus? If you're desiring to be with a community of believers who have this as their mission, then we'd love to meet you in person at Cornerstone Chapel. Head over to cornerstoneconnection.cc to find out more details as to where we meet and when. That's all for today here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.